Hi, welcome to another PSD cast from Power Systems Design. I'm your host, Alex Paul, and today I've got David Johnson. He's with High Tech Power Protection, and, well, power protection is what everybody wants, isn't it, David? Nobody wants unprotected power, right? Welcome to the Absolutely show. Absolutely correct. Thank you. I'm, go ahead, please. No, I was going to say that's absolutely correct. Whether you're making widgets or you're making semiconductors, um, power, critical power, or conditions, uh, backup power is a necessity uh, in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one of the things I love pointing out to my audience is, you know, power is ubiquitous. There is no electronics without electricity. Uh, and every process can be improved by improving the power. And UPS's power conditioning goes right to the root of that situation, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, And again, in this day and age, uh, whether we're talking data center or semiconductors, um, the need for critical power, as well as where they're located, um, you know, even here within the U.S., um, sometimes California can have power problems uh, in the middle of the summer. So the need for critical backup power um, is ever-increasing. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's a very good point about California. People would look at California and think, oh, my goodness, how could they have power problems? It's one of the most sophisticated infrastructures in the world. But, yeah, on a hot summer day, uh, don't trust anything. No, no. Rolling brownouts are not, well, they're not as bad as they used to be, but they're not uncommon. And it's right. also, we had, uh, you know, I can give you an example, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, three weeks ago. Uh, very, very hot day, and uh, the local power company lost power, and uh, our systems were running for about three hours at wow. that particular site. So it's well, uh, not just California. But, well, and yes, you know, that's and, an interesting point. Go ahead, please. Go ahead, please, David. I was going to say, and, you know, that's just here in, uh, in North America. Um, you know, South America, there are challenges um, in the Far East, um, and we have an example of a uh, PVC production facility uh, where they were running, I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but they were running on diesel so much so that when we put our diesel rotary UPSs in, it was a 10-month payback, uh, and they took the existing diesels and put them on another plant. But the cost of, as we were discussing before, the cost of downtime or the cost of wasted product um, is incredible. So they, they had to be on diesel because of this particular plant uh, in, in Southeast Asia. Uh, the power quality was poor. And um, if you know anything about the extrusion of PVC, once it goes down, it's, it's a pretty messy uh, cleanup process. Very. Ooh. That's, that's got that's to be an ugly sight. Well, uh, one of the axioms I hear a lot in the uh, industry is it's uh, eight seconds or eight days, you know, the, the, either it's going to be a hiccup in your power or you're really looking at a problem. How much of that is true? Well, in, in North America, um, EPRI or the Electrical Producers Research Institute, which most of the major uh, utilities are members of, was in the early 2000s. They did a study and I won't have the exact numbers, but I'll be close. They did a study of power outages in the, in the U.S., and the majority of those outages were less than two seconds in duration, um, and most of them actually were less than one second, sub-cycles, reclosures of the utility breakers, uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about it's really those minimal ones. That's 98% of the time um, 
that's what occurs is those short breaks. It's the long ones that we all remember, the, the eight hours or the eight days uh, that stick in your mind, but those are fewer and further between. Um, so again, you know, it, it's sometimes we wouldn't even notice at home. You see a light flicker and, you know, you didn't realize the utility has switched from one substation to another. Uh, but I can mm-hmm. tell you the servers notice in a data well, and, center, and for depend- example. Right, and depending upon your industrial process and how good your backup systems on are, uh, you might be the owner of an old antiquated plant, see the flicker and go, damn it, there goes a batch. Yes, absolutely. And depending on what the batch is, whether it's a batch of semiconductor uh, wafers or uh, chips, if you will, um, or if it's a batch of PVC, um, you know, one's a bit costlier than the other, but there's still a major cost involved. There you go. It could be a batch of moonshine if it's all you got. <laughs> that, that is true. That is very you true. Know, you- it's, it could be anything when you really think about it. The, the bottom line there is if you have a process, if you have a service, if you have an infrastructure that needs to be maintained and power is an issue, if you don't have a UPS, I mean, and, and all flag waving aside, I mean, there are other companies that manufacture them, uh, but it would be foolish not to have a UPS of some sort in your facility. Correct. And then in the question of whether you're going to go the static route or the rotary route. Now, give us the difference between the two of those. So static UPS is uh, typically talking double conversion. Um, Power electronics are using, um, most of the manufacturers now use IGBTs or insulated gate bipolar transistors on the front end for Mm -hmm. rectification, as well as on the back end for inversion um, of the, the actual DC um, power. What you're doing is recreating in a static world, you're recreating the, the sine wave on the output. That's an artificial mm-hmm. sine wave and you have to have batteries, which is the Achilles heel of a static UPS system versus a rotary or in our case, a diesel rotary system. We're having, we're a direct coupled uh, system. We have our diesel uh, engine. We have a, uh, a freewheel clutch, an alternator and a flywheel. And we're, um, our, our alternator and our flywheel are continuously running. The alternator for mm. 60 hertz power is running at 1800, and the flywheel, uh, which by the way is the slowest flywheel in the market, um, which we'll come back to momentarily, is running at 2900 RPM. So in diesel rotary terms or rotary terms, uh, bearings are your biggest concern. Um, right. Slower is better. It's less wear and tear, less heat on the bearings. And having been in the business now for 60 years uh, and being the creator of Rotary UPS in 1956, and the creator of diesel rotary in 1969. We've got a lot of experience in the industry. Um, we've learned a lot over time. We take all of those lessons and we put them into our, in our, into our developments. Right, so. right. Although, although to be, although to be uh, very thorough, David, at the low end, at the micro rotary end, I have seen magnetic bearing vacuum bottles for a uh, high speed 30,000 RPM, but for very, very uh, low power applications, you know, under a hundred uh, KVA type situations. Actually, I've uh, did a project for a hospital in Boston, um, 750 KVA static UPS with a DC flywheel. Uh, there were three or four in parallel. 
Um, we were only getting, I think, 15 seconds run time, uh, but those units were running at 37,000 RPM, uh, magnetic bearing, um, Trying to think, uh, there were a couple of other vacuum, additional right? items in a vacuum. Yes, so very yes. at that point, uh, also you know you have more systems to potentially fail. Uh, we're using right. tried and true you know, bearings that have been used for years and years and years. Um, you know, in industry, uh, you think uh, when the first motor came about, um, you know, something along those lines, or or the use of bearings early, early on. Um, so. You know, tried and true technology, it's just we've put it together in a unique fashion, and we control it very precisely. Uh, we're generating mm-hmm. a clean mm-hmm. sine wave uh, through, our, through our alternator, through our generator, just the way that the utility does. So we're not recreating right. the sine wave as a static UPS does. You're creating and then we don't have your own wave. Yeah. Yes, yeah, we're generating it. And then we mm-hmm. don't have... You know, large rooms that have to uh, hold batteries and have to be environmentally controlled. And if you're talking about a sealed valve regulated lead acid battery, you know, replacing every five years on average. Um, you know, at the site in northern New Jersey, a data center site, the gentleman has two very stable power supplies coming in from two different uh, substations from the utility. And he's looking at it wondering why he's spending all this money on batteries. He's never using them. Um, so we're looking at hopefully retrofitting his facility with a 22.9 kV uh, diesel rotor UPS and getting rid of all those batteries. And he frees up the space. Right. He can take that space and turn it into more white space and rent it out. Well, and now, David, uh, that's a, the beautiful part about this, and I'm really glad that uh, you're on the show to talk about this, is uh, one of our uh, recent editorials uh, talked about the whole issue of uh, alternate energy versus fossil fuels. And uh, I pointed out in the editorial that fossil fuels are not going away for multiple reasons. And the key is not to eliminate fossil fuels. The key is to use fossil fuels in the application spaces that they are best suited for, thus freeing the other technologies to serve those application spaces they are best suited for for a proper energy mix that then delivers optimum efficiency and performance. And this is the exact type of device that fits into that type of a strategy. It is. And and to kind of give you a, a little bit of uh, more in-depth uh, on that side with regards to diesel rotary, I'm also looking at a microgrid project in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where they're using downstream um, wind uh, windmills as well as solar uh, power. Um, but the problem is they can be, as they call it, island from from the utility where they're completely separate. And at that point, mm-hmm. there's there's nothing limiting the potential for faults. Uh, they need a stiff source, if you will, and that's where we come in. With our diesel rotary, we are a, you know, a very robust and a very stiff source for them when they're island from the utility. So it's, right. a, it's another added benefit, um, utilizing it in, you know, in the newer technologies. Exactly, David, exactly. And, well, you bring up a very interesting and very compelling uh, point that I'm really glad. Like, again, I'm, I always love this show because I learned so much talking to my guests. Frankly, I don't care if no one is listening, although I love every single one of my listeners. Please keep listening. But even <laughs> if it was just the two of us talking, I, I love these conversations because one of the things that – 
you pointed out is that everyone's moving towards grid stiffening and the, the need for grid stiffening to integrate alternate energies effectively and reliably, reliably with the grids. The UPS industry has been doing microgrid and grid stiffening as its definition from day one. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that the UPS industry is t- isn't taking a greater role in the grid stiffening aspect of alternate energy. Again, not, not being an expert on that area, but when you talk about a diesel rotor UPS, uh, to give you an example of grid stiffening, um, with our alternators, we can handle up to 14 times full load current. We can generate that for a downstream fault. If you're talking, mm-hmm. talking about a static UPS, double conversion, typically they can handle 1,000% for one cycle, and then they go to bypass, which means they go to utility. But if you don't have a utility right. upstream, if you're in a microgrid and you don't have that utility upstream, you know, if that, from that standpoint, a static is not a very stiff source for a microgrid, whereas, again, right. 14 times, 14,000% full load current downstream to clear faults. So it's a, but it's a little diesel, different aspect. Go ahead. But, but wouldn't the diesel flywheel system work on a microgrid scale? I mean, of course, you'd need either A, a large, very large one, or B, multiples. Multiples would be preferable for reliability and uh, fault tolerance. But uh, wouldn't a, a series of diesel UPSs work? in conjunction with a in a solar and a wind farm around the clock then to essentially even out the input from those unreliable sources. Absolutely. And whether it's one or a redundant configuration, I mean we've our largest site has it's a semiconductor plant. We have twenty two megawatt units in parallel. So we've got 40 megawatts of power, diesel rotor mm-hmm. UPS power uh, at uh, 6.6 kV. It's at medium voltage, which is another benefit of the diesel rotor. We can do native medium voltage versus typically a static. You're going up to 600 volts. There are a couple of uh, offline systems out there that go a little higher. But um, So, yes, it's a perfect application for us. Um, and the other key point is we're not, when we talk about diesel rotary, you have to keep in mind the majority of the time, again, 98% of the time, we're providing power conditioning. It's only those right. longer outages above two seconds, uh, or we have, uh, well, um, depending on whether we go with an option called diesel start delay, it's a two-second delay, so we avoid nuisance starts. Um, only mm-hmm. after that time does the diesel actually come on. So, again, back to the EPRI study, um, the majority of the time, 98 99% of the time, we're going to be just in power conditioning mode. Alternators on, right. flywheels there, handling hiccups, handling uh, sag surges, uh, deviations on frequency, voltage deviations, etc. cetera. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yes, back to the point, a very stiff source, whether standalone or in parallel. Right. Well, and, and, and that's... Um, so, well, let's just leave that idea out there for our audience to, to mull with um, and move on a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, we are on a time limit. Um, tell us a little bit more then about the products themselves, this PowerPro series. Uh, give us a little bit of an idea of the lineup availability and such. On the low end, we're just, um, we, we're just revamping our low end. We offer a 300 kW 
a 500 kW and an 800 kW system. That's on the low mm-hmm. end. Uh, the next step up is our that's our PowerPro 1000. We have a PowerPro 1800 that's uh, about, um, and then we, we at that point we're moving back into the KVA range uh, versus KW. Um, there it's about 1350 KVA. Our PowerPro mm-hmm. 2700, which is the latest greatest technology, uh, three years of development. Um, comes in on the low end, 1847 KVA, and the high end, 2724 uh, KVA. And then finally, I call it the big boy, is our PowerPro 3600. Uh, it's 3600 KVA, 2880 KW on a single frame, so just shy of three megawatts, uh, 39 wow. feet long. Yes, uh, and, and you can imagine weighs a little bit. Uh, that well, ranges I mean, from the low end. Go ahead. Sorry. I apologize, but continuing after the after the statement, though, but exactly that is the exact type of drop-in solution for a microgrid stiffener. Absolutely. And the other benefit is, I mean, we haven't really talked about some of the benefits, but one of the key is space savings. Again, we talked mm-hmm. about getting rid of the battery room. Um, it may be 39 feet long, but if you look at it, it's really not that much longer than if you have your diesel generator, your standby. It's just instead of being a standby, we're always on, we're always running, we're always conditioning power. It's only during the long outage, uh, two and a half to three seconds uh, after our, we send our start signal, our units are up and running. And it's pretty impressive mm-hmm. to be in the, uh, the test lab and, and actually see that unit come on in two and a half to three seconds. Um, and we do a lot of things to make sure that that happens. But the, the biggest one is, keep in mind, unlike a standby diesel generator, we're not starting the generator up. It's already it's already up and running. It's already in motion. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So we're starting our diesels completely unloaded. We preheat them. We prelude them. We have redundant start motors, redundant power paths. We use a gravity-fed day tank. These are all things over the past 60 years we've learned uh, to incorporate based on experience. So, well, uninterruptible is supposed to mean uninterruptible, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so um, give us some of the other benefits, please. Um, a low TCO when you compare it to a uh, a static UPS configuration. I mentioned that mm-hmm. uh, that location in northern Jersey. Um, we did the TCO. The TCO takes into account not only the efficiency. Um, the, the losses, we do a comparison of the losses on our system, which um, on our PowerPro 2700 uh, pushes 97% efficient, and that's all in. That's nice. the powertrain. When you look at a static UPS, you can't just look at the UPS. You have to look at the batteries, the air conditioning, mm-hmm. potentially mm-hmm. power factor correction pa- capacitors. You don't see it as often, but sometimes. But really, when you combine the air conditioning in there, that potentially that 97% efficient static UPS can end up being more like 92% once you include the air conditioning loads. Um, so you have to have air conditioning for the batteries um, of, and the, to get rid of the heat rejection from the static UPS. Ours, we just need airflow. We can, we can look in ambient temperature from zero to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, so that's a, a key benefit. Um, total cost of ownership also takes into account the preventive maintenance, uh, it takes into account the overhauls of our kinetic energy modules, our flywheels versus battery replacements every five years. Uh, we've just come out with a new TCO where we look at the cost savings at year one, 
5, 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20, 25, and 30. Uh, we used to do it just on, you know, on a, say, a 20-year or 15-year. I had a lot of engineers say, well, that's great, but, you know, some of these guys aren't going to be around for 15 years. They've got 10 years left. They want to know what's this going to save them in 10 years. So the, the right. study we did for that particular site in northern New Jersey, and it is a data center site, over a 20-year period, it was $4.5 million in savings when you combined all of those items plus upfront cost, uh, which is a key one. In the past, there was a perception that upfront cost on a diesel rotary was much more expensive than a static. But if you're comparing similar systems, and in this case, it was one of our 3600s, so just shy of three megawatts, versus mm-hmm. three 1000 kW static UPSs, plus a 25, I'm sorry, plus a uh, 3250 kW generator, mm-hmm. uh, standby diesel generator, um, and the ATS mm-hmm. and the air conditioning, um, roughly speaking, you know, we, uh, with the cost of our system plus installation, our installation cost was $900,000 less than putting the three uh, static UPSs in parallel and installing them. So all said and done, we came out $300,000 less on the upfront cost. Uh, when you look at just the equipment, um, we were uh, about 600000 more expensive, but again, part of the CapEx cost you have to look at is the installation. So from a bean counter standpoint, and no offense to the accountants, um, they need to take a look at the complete picture. Once they do, you know, I don't have it off the top of my head on the first year of savings, but in every case, one year, five year, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, we had a significant cost savings over the static, and they got rid of the batteries. They didn't have to either build that room or, again, they turn it into white space and lease it out. Which is, of um, course, an ongoing cost for toxicity, disposal, as you pointed out, all of that. Yes. Yes. And then from a standpoint of PUE, our units are transformerless and we can go medium voltage, so we can offer a lower PUE than a static UPS. And, again, you've gotten rid of the, the air conditioning, at least the air conditioning load um, that's that's there for the battery, you know, batteries like to live in 77 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, mm-hmm. The UPS can work a little higher, but that room typically for the battery manufacturers want to be at 77 degrees Fahrenheit. And a rough rule of thumb for every 10 degrees higher, you cut the the life of that battery in half. So if you go to 87 right. degrees Fahrenheit, that five-year battery is now a two-and-a-half-year battery. It can be a very expensive proposition. Well, and there you go. So um, now, what kind of assistance do you offer? Because obviously you just can't drop it in place and hook up some jumper cables and turn it on. Uh, This is major infrastructure here. What kind of uh, support do you offer people who walk in the front door and say, hey, I'm interested? Well, first of all, um, you weren't that far off because one of the benefits of our systems, we can put them in outdoor sound attenuated enclosures. So it's uh-huh. almost truly a drop-in, plug-and-play, power in, power out. You know, you, you insert it from the upstream uh, distribution board to the downstream output distribution board, uh, power, from, power in from the upstream, power out to the downstream, and away you go. But typically we do – we have – for each and every project, we have a project manager and a project engineer that work very closely with the owner or the electrical designer, the electrician, uh, whoever it may be, to make sure certain things like airflow. I mentioned we do need 
airflow, mm-hmm. and we need quality airflow. We don't need dust. Um, you know, those are things. Things part of particulates in the in the air are going to cause problems for the bearings long term. So we need to have a clean source of air, uh, filtered. Um, but again, we don't need the the air conditioning. Um, as as an entity, if I have someone walk in the door or I'm talking to someone that comes up and say, you know, I, I was in Chicago last week. Uh, of all things, we're talking about a bakery. They're having outages mm-hmm. that are causing, you know, they're losing buns, if you will. They're u- losing the, the production. So um, they were considering static UPSs, putting them on, and here's a key benefit. I'm glad I went down this road. We don't care what the downstream loads are, mechanical or IT loads. Servers are fine, no problem. But on a static UPS, typically you're not going to put a motor load or a pump on a static UPS. And if you do, you're going to have to oversize it to two-plus times what the locked rotor amps are. Uh, so from our system, anything you can put on a standby diesel generator, you can put on our system. So we will take the whole plant, if you will, all of the IT loads, all of the process control, and all of those pumps and motors, <clears throat> excuse me, and valves. Um, we don't care. That's the beauty of our system. So um, also, so uh, from that standpoint, um, I, I was talking about the system. They're tr- they're thinking about trying to put put motor loads onto uh, static UPS. They're going to have to oversize them, build the battery rooms. We said, look, instead of doing that, put us out in the yard. We'll put it, put it, put it in an outdoor enclosure out in the yard. They've got three utility feeds coming in, three, sec- three different sections of the building. We'll put three systems in. Uh, if you want redundancy, we can go that route as well, um, and we'll take care of the whole facility. And truly almost a plug-and-play situation. The design portion has to be taken into consideration. Obviously, the side of the, side of the copper wire coming in and out. Um, and on these, actually, I think it was 480 volt. I don't think it was medium voltage. Uh, but we'll go from 400 volts on the low end. Um, here in the U.S. sometimes, 400 slash 230 you'll see in data centers uh, feeding the server loads at uh, 230 volt. So we'll go from 400, 480, 600 up to and including 35 kV, you know, and, and everything in between, 4160, mm-hmm. 132, 138, 22, or 23 kV, et cetera. So, again, an added benefit. Uh, we're not tied to low voltage, 600 volts and below, uh, depending on who you're right. talking to. Um, you know, low voltage could be, uh, you know, 24 volts and lower, uh, but we're talking from a utility standpoint, um, low voltage being 600 volts and below. Got it, got it. Well, hey, David, as I mentioned, it, we are in a podcast, and unfortunately I uh, am in a time limit, although I'm thoroughly enjoying this conversation. We're going to have to bring you back. Uh, what I'd like to do, though, before I let you go, is I always let my guest have the last word on my show, and it could be a little bit more about the uh, Power Pearl, could be a little bit more about – the company or just a tip for our audience, but the floor is yours. I guess first and foremost, um, there, we have a nice uh, video on the PowerPro 2700, which is, again, three years of development, latest and greatest technology. Uh, we have sound attenuated cladding on the system. We use automatic bearing lubrication. We use health indicators. You can walk into the room and see green, yellow, and red. Uh, typically, it'll be green, but uh, if, if a security guard were to walk in and see yellow, he knows there's a problem. We have a remote enunciation as well, a remote monitoring through SNMP or Modbus or whatever you're building management system may be, but um, if you have a chance, go to the new 
dash hitech, which is H-I-T-E-C dot com. Again, that's the new dash hitech dot com. There's a video. Uh, it's about a two-minute video that gives a nice overview of what a modern diesel rotor UPS system looks like. Um, I guess the other point I would just uh, go back to is the 60 years of experience. Um, being that we created the rotary UPS in 1956 and the diesel rotary in 1969, again, we have a lot of experience. Um, we have global installations across the world. I mean, we are a global company. Um, our power generation modules themselves are, are manufactured in Omelo, Holland. And depending on where they're going here in the U.S., we'll bring them over, marry them up with UL gear, or marry them up in an enclosure with UL gear, and then ship to site. Uh, we have direct service techs globally. Um, here in the U.S., uh, we have a service center on the East Coast uh, in Sterling, Virginia, and on the West Coast in Santa Clara, California, with direct techs. Um, 14 in total between the two sites, evenly split. We have a direct tech in uh, Red, I'm sorry, Quincy, Washington, direct tech in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and then two of our senior techs, um, one of who is the service manager and one's the senior trainer in Rosenberg, Texas, outside of Houston, where we're located. Uh, but global installations, um, approximately 280 plus systems in the Americas, the majority of which uh, are in North America and the majority of those are in the U.S., um, I'm going from memory. Sites in Europe were over, I believe, uh, close to 1,100 units. And then finally, uh, APAC uh, is in the 500 to 600 range. So um, you know, it, it may not seem like much, but when you, when you see one of these systems or you have 24 units going into one site, um, it can add up quickly. And uh, I would say, given an opportunity, take a look at the website, learn a little bit more about it. And then um, on the website, you can find, uh, whether it's myself or one of my colleagues uh, on the West um, or my colleagues in Europe or uh, Asia Pacific, uh, we're listed there. And if you have interest, please reach out, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have. Well, hey, Dave, I... Really hope the audience takes you up on that offer. Um, like I said, I had a great time talking to you, learned a lot, and uh, definitely want to see you back again. So, But for now, I've got to let you go. Understood. And let me know. I'm happy to come back and, and uh, expound more. Excellent, excellent. And I'd like to thank the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Power Citizen Design. Have a great day. <laughs>